look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. Hey, Peter King here, and we have a special episode for you today. This is an episode that has a single guest. It's Tony Romo, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback who basically had his job taken uh, while he was hurt by Dak Prescott. And a couple of things about this podcast and the reason why we're putting it out now. Obviously, Tony Romo is out perhaps for the year. He's the backup quarterback behind Prescott who came in, played borderline miraculously, and stole Tony Romo's job from him while Romo was hurt. No one expected that to happen. I doubt Dak Prescott expected that to happen. Certainly Tony Romo didn't. But in the wake of the Cowboys being on an eight-game winning streak and Dak Prescott being so impressive, and then Tony Romo basically abdicating his job publicly in an emotional statement to the media on Tuesday following the Cowboys' win at Pittsburgh over Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, Romo made an emotional and sort of highly charged uh, statement about, I can't stand up here and say that I should be starting right now. Obviously, Dak Prescott should be starting. So what we decided to do here at Digital Media and at the MMQB podcast with Peter King is we decided to sort of take our Tony Romo podcast out of mothballs. Eight days before he was injured and lost for the first 10 weeks of this season, I sat down with him in Oxnard, California, in the office at training camp of Rich Dalrymple, the Cowboys vice president of media relations. I sat down and had a 30-minute or so conversation with him about his career, about his life, about his future, about what he might want to do with his life, and so we decided this week, uh, Chris Corcoran, who, who runs this show at Digital Media, uh, and I uh, had a little back and forth and decided, hey, let's let everybody listen to Tony Romo talking about a lot of different topics, but let's listen to Tony Romo because we think that there's no reason not to share this podcast with you. So we're going to play this podcast now, me and Tony Romo, Oxnard, California, mid-August, on a beautiful, very warm afternoon at Dallas Cowboys training camp. So, from Dallas Cowboys training camp in Oxnard, California, I'm here with Tony Romo. This is the Peter King Podcast, and I am that person. I'm Peter King. Tony, I really appreciate you joining me on your last day of training camp. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for coming out. Good. Uh, so you've had an interesting last few years 
And uh, interesting, to put it mildly, I would, I guess, ask you the one current question before we sort of delve into the life and times of Tony Romo. I think everybody sort of wonders, as you enter this season, to play this season, how confident are you that you will hold up physically and your collarbone will hold up? Yeah, I mean, it's a question I get a few times. A day. (laughs) (laughs) Good call. I train in camp for sure. But we did this thing called the Mumford procedure in the off season. And so what they did was basically they took a picture of your collarbone and they found that there was a little cliff in it. And that means there's an angle at the end that was a little bit um, not where it should be. And so they basically took that edge of the bone off, uh, cut it almost, almost as if they were breaking your collarbone. And they took that and they took the bone from there and grafted it in the middle and uh, basically strengthened the middle of the collarbone. And saying all that, they tell me it should act, you know, with give, and it's real strong in the middle, instead of like a two-by-four that's kind of bent already halfway a little bit, and it's just waiting to crack. And, you know, if it holds up like we think, uh, I feel very strongly about, you know, the ability to play, you know, throughout the year. And if you look at the history in the last six, seven years, the only time I really miss any amount of real games, other than maybe one every two, three years, is just because of the collarbone. So if you solve the collarbone, you know, theoretically, you know, we solve missing games. You believe now that this is a long-term solution? Well, that's what the doctors tell me. If not, then they just broke my collarbone and got rid of it for no apparent reason. So <laughs> not that they're going to get fired, but uh, no, nah, they're good guys. They did a great job. So, Tony, I want to go back in time a little bit and ask you... You had a really kind of an idyllic life as a kid from everything I've read. You know, growing up in Wisconsin, big Packer fan. And I wondered, what was it when you were growing up watching football? What appealed to you early on about Brett Favre when you were a Packer fan, middle school, high school, and Favre was coming to prominence with the Packers? Yeah, that's a big question. You know, I can remember there's multiple reasons that really me and my friends uh, growing up, A, were passionate about watching, you know, football in Green Bay. And, and Brett Favre was really at the forefront of all that, really, for us. It was, you know, the way he played the game was enjoyable to watch. Uh, you know, his passion for the game, his talent. I think you wanted to see that. You never knew, you know, if you might miss something you haven't seen before. Not unlike Michael Jordan in that sense. Uh, at the same time, though, you just – I can't help but think that a lot of it was also his personality and who – just the way he came across. I think that people wanted to to meet him, and not just because he was a great quarterback, but also just because he seemed like, you know, everybody else. And, so approachable. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, there, the, you know, if you really think about it, I mean, that's almost – I don't want to say as big a deal to the fans – but it really felt like at the time, you know, I mean, if he was doing all the same things, but he just came across a different way, I'm not sure you'd have that same feeling toward him, or at least I wouldn't have. And I feel like he just captured the imagination through his personality and his play. And there was no bigger legend playing the game when I was growing up. And even when I got in the NFL, I can remember a big game in 07. We were both 10-1. and 1. It's probably the only time in my career that I've – you know, I literally got up off the bench and went over there and just wanted to sit. And, like, he was right there at, like, the 35-yard line. And we were playing, and he 
he was right there. And I was like, I, I got to just appreciate this moment a little bit, you know, regardless of how the outcome takes. And, boy, it was it was actually just one of the – I can picture myself right there on, on one knee watching, and it was it was special. And that's just what makes sports amazing. And, you know, we were lucky enough to get a win that day. But, uh, you know, Brett was just a true hero, really. What do you remember about sort of, you know, you're in high school – does every quarterback in Wisconsin want to be Brett Favre? I would argue that you got young kids coming up still. You know, I mean, the one thing is just the talent and the ability that they saw. You know, he's 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 got those things that are rare that you can't really teach. A, the arm strength, but also the instincts. And uh, I think all kids kind of want that in some way. I think there's a lot that else that went into it, but um, that's what... You know, they even hear about it's kind of like John Elway. It's still like, you know, there's still the legend there. Yeah, yeah there's still yeah. that. You know, it's just when you're when you're that talented. How did you end up at Eastern Illinois, and why is Eastern Illinois this cradle of quarterbacks? You know, Shanahan, Sean Payton. Now, I mean, opening day, you and Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, it's just sort of an odd deal. Yeah, I mean, East Illinois. <laughs> how did I end up there? Well, coming out of high school, I was, you know. And going around the country on all my big recruiting trips, I was very sought after, <laughs> <laughs> left and right. And they made uh, the big decision to give me a half scholarship. You know, it's hard to turn that down. <laughs> and so, you know, I just wasn't that, that heavily recruited coming out. And Eastern Illinois provided, for me, to be honest, at the core, it was just the best competition that I could play at. And I really didn't care about anything else. You know, I've had more money other places and everything, but I just wanted to play with what I felt like was the best I could play against and compete against. And that's how they got me. Once I got there, I, I started to hear about the pedigree of the past, of the coaches and, and the tree. And obviously, I, I can remember a while there, there was like four or five head coaches or coordinators in the NFL from Eastern Illinois. You know, you had Brad Hi- Childress, too. Yeah. Oh, Heimerdinger. Yeah, Childress. You had Mike Shanahan, Sean Payton. I mean, I'm probably forgetting one somewhere. But so when you come out of college, you have a chance to sign with two teams, both of whom are Eastern Illinois teams. You got Sean Payton and the Dallas Cowboys. At the time, he's the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. or was he quarterback coach? Uh, he was kind of both. But yeah. remember, Bill didn't want to give. That title, that title away. Yeah. So he's yeah. like, "I'm protecting you." you know? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was so so it's either there or it's Shanahan. So in Denver. So what happened, and what do you remember about that pursuit? Yeah, I actually wanted to go to Denver a little bit more. It's just that I felt like I could, I had a better chance of making the roster. You know, the mistake you make as a rookie free agent is you look at the starter and you're going to play, and where's you know that opportunity? But it's really about making the team and just going in and competing with the other guys who were on the bubble and uh, Dallas provided that opportunity and the money Arizona I believe offered the most probably around 20 25,000 which you know was like being rich at that time if I'd yeah. gotten that and uh Denver came in and they were like 15 to 20 but they also had Mike Shanahan who I had a very strong respect for and then uh, obviously the Cowboys came in and then I looked at the roster and then you're talking to, you know, there was a bunch of calls coming in, but I kind of started to shut them all down and just go with, it was Mike on one phone and then it was Bill Parcells on the other. And then Sean would call in 
and then eventually he passed to Jerry. And so he went through the whole gamut. So, but, but you could have made more money elsewhere had absolutely. you gone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. why didn't you take I mean, you're a kid. You got no money. <laughs> why don't you take the 20 or 25 grand? Well, I think this is the, like I, I was telling you just a little bit ago, there's a naive thing in there sometimes that you're like, what was your backup plan if you really didn't play <laughs> football? I was like, you know, <laughs> that half scholarship kid at the Eastern Illinois just knew he was going somewhere. So at some point I was going to get to the NFL, but you know, it, it seems naive in, in some form, but I do feel like you just don't make decisions based on money. They just, that's not where you get anywhere in life. And uh, I, understand. I think one of the best things, that's one of the best pieces of advice if you ever yeah. could give a kid in college advice, never make a decision for money. I mean, you got to live and eat, but, yeah, but these never make yeah. a decision for money. And the, and the amounts, I mean, like this, you know, if it's if someone's going to offer you to go play over here for $100 million, and someone else is going to offer you for $100,000, I, I understand. Yeah. But there's never going to be a decision like that. And so when you take even really signing for a new team or coming back, I mean, these decisions come down to two million dollars here or there like that that is when you're signing for you know some quarterbacks are now coming out and signing for 60 million dollars let's say and it's four years whatever they're making 15 or 18 20 whatever it is set different guys a year stay the same place go somewhere else it's a million or two an extra maybe even three that still doesn't really change your life mm -hmm. actual like day-to-day -day process so you should definitely choose where you're passionate about and where you feel like is going to be give you the best chance to be successful and you know, I was telling you the story before about how Sean Payton was talking to me on the phone and uh, the Cowboys were offering 10 and Sean goes back and tells and Bill right there and he's like, listen, the Cardinals are offering like 20 or 25,000, you know, and Jerry's like, well, we got to get this kid. He told me he's, he's, he's got a chance. So let's let's go ahead and give him the 15 or 20,000 dollars. We'll, we'll go to 20. And Sean Payton, literally behind the scenes, like, nah, we don't even need to. I got him. <laughs> we, we can keep it at 10000 So I still tell Sean to this day he owes me $10,000. Sean's probably thinking, maybe I'll get a little bit extra in my paycheck because I saved the company some money. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was what Jerry told him that right after it. He goes, Sean, I don't know much about your coaching philosophy right now, but I do know that you're a heck of a salesman and you just saved me $10,000. So. <laughs> so when you first kind of threatened to play the not threatened but when you're when you're kind of surging here a little bit and Parcells gets fascinated with you Drew Bledsoe is the guy and Drew Bledsoe was thought of at the time a total franchise guy so what are you thinking as this kid from eastern Illinois and nobody really knows if you can play and here's Drew Bledsoe they might talk about him for the hall of fame one day what was that like especially playing in a place like Dallas well, I think for me, it's a little harder sometimes than you think because you, like I had Vinny and I had Drew, and I, you like them both. They're both really good people, and, um, you know, it makes it sometimes a little bit uh, difficult because you want, you know, certain things and you want to play. But at the same time, you don't want it to be at the expense of them not playing well because you root for them. My hope was just that he would retire and have a great send-off, and then that would happen. But realistically, that was not going to happen. And uh, I just kept trying to put my head down and get better and, and keep improving. And I remember they started me in one preseason game. And uh, I played up at Seattle, which was always a tough place to play. And I played pretty well. And that was the first time I think Bill really took notice as far as the chance put me in. And then, you know, 
he told me the morning of the Giants game when I came in for my the first time I really ever even played in the NFL of any significance. Uh, he told me that morning. I think it was a Monday night game. We're playing against the Giants, and we're got to be around three and three at the time. And he grabs me on the way out, and he goes, "You ready to go tonight?" And I was like, "I'm ready." He, and he grabs me, and he goes, "I mean, are you ready?" And I was like, well, "He's told me, are you ready to go?" He's never done it twice, <laughs> and so he looked me in the eye, and I was like, "I'm ready." And uh, so that was the night he, he ended up making the change at halftime, and I came in and through three interceptions in the second half i was obviously ready <laughs> and uh i threw a couple touchdowns i mean i literally probably threw for like 250 yards two touchdowns three in a half it was just like there was 80 things going on at the time but it was a it was a big moment and then he made the big decision to stick with me next week and and i got a little bit better do you think sometimes you know i always think about the quarterback of the dallas cowboys it's you know, it's like one of the biggest jobs in sports, obviously. And maybe the good thing for you is that you didn't have a lot of time to really kind of uh, obsess about it or get nervous. I mean, Parcells is just a football coach, and there's no, it's not a big deal. You just better be ready to go. So, how were you able, kind of a small town kid, small college? to come in and not sort of get cowed by the size of this job? First off, I think it's your personality. It dictates a lot. A, I never really thought about the bigness of it in any way. The, as you're just trying to make the team and playing, you know, in some ways the gift was not being thrust in right away. You know, and, and Bill and some of the others will tell you, you know, you can lose the player when they're young. You know, I don't always agree. Sometimes I feel like, well... If you lose a player, you'd have lost Peyton Manning in his rookie year. But if he's pretty good... Good point, because he threw 28 picks. Yeah. yeah. So my point is, if you're good, every time you throw an interception or every time you do something wrong, you learn. So I, I'm under the theory sometimes that you just... If a kid's got the ability and he shows the instincts and has some of the tools, play him. He'll go through his up and up, but he'll learn every single time he takes a rep. And you'll but see maybe, exponential but maybe, growth. But maybe if you're Parcells... And you don't worry about, you know, oh, my job is in jeopardy. You know, like if you're some second-year coach and you've had a losing year the first year and you come in, I mean, you might be a little nervous about playing Tony Romo. Oh, no, I'm not saying I was ready. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think there's no question I'd have had a nice 25-30 pick season in there if they'd have started me at that age, too. Yeah. It made it easier for when I did end up playing not to go through quite as many of the, the bumps early on that some other rookies or first-year guys end up going through. I definitely was not prepared to play early on, so he, he absolutely made the right decision there. But what I'm saying is if you're allowed to go through those bumps with the player, now I wouldn't have been able to. I'm a free agent coming from eastern Illinois. I'm going to be afforded about a game and a half right. before they move on to the next guy. You know, When you're Eli Manning and you're the number one pick and you're replacing Kurt Warner in that, that time frame there, well, he's got that whole part of that season and the next season – you know, he's getting 30 games at least, even if he keeps losing and screwing up. So you could lose the player if, you know, he's a kid who's only getting so many opportunities from the staff, the organization. And so there's, he's right in the sense that they wouldn't have allowed me to have the opportunity to show what I hopefully would one day become. But, you know, that's just part of sports and where you come from. That's why you get more advantages the better you play previously. You get more opportunities. And, um, I wasn't going to be afforded that many. And so in some ways it, it worked out perfect 
that he waited until I really could handle that. As far as being the quarterback of the Cowboys and that whole stigma, how big that is, it's not very hard until you play. You know, before then, you're just working and you're grinding and it feels like anything else in life. Once you play and you get to be the quarterback and all of a sudden then you turn on Center, and then your team has talked about quite a bit, that part of it you feel. But if you can play the game, you're going to play the game. And that stuff doesn't matter. Eventually, it just kind of rolls right off your back and you move on and you go play. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. Hey, football fans, looking to get a new suit? I got a great deal for you. Indochino is one of the largest made-to-measure menswear brands out there. They're making it easy for men to get great-fitting, high-quality suits and shirts at an incredible price. Here's how it works. Visit Indochino.com or drop by one of their nine North American showrooms. You get to pick from hundreds of fabrics and patterns. Then, choose your customizations from lapels to pleats to jacket linings and more. Here's how it works. You submit your body measurements and then kick back, relax, and get ready to step into the best, most stylish suit you've ever worn. It'll take just four weeks. And this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $389 at Indochino.com when entering KING, that's K-I-N-G, at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code KING, for any premium suit for just $389 and free shipping. Indochino also has amazing holiday deals right now on their shirts, pants, and other products, too. Get ready to look like a million bucks at Indochino.com. Here with Tony Romo in Oxnard, California. Tony, in your mind, as you look at the way the game is today, I've had on my training camp trip this year, Andrew Luck, Matt Ryan, I mean, because I've asked a few quarterbacks, they don't read anything. They don't watch anything. They steer clear of all mention of football. They'll watch TV, but if anything comes on, they'll turn it off. They'll go do something else. So I wonder, especially in Dallas, where it's all cowboys all the time, how do you manage to kind of live a normal life as the quarterback of the Cowboys? Yeah, I hear uh, <laughs> I've got plenty of friends who <laughs> do some great things in life and are part of the public eye. And so I talk to them, you know, over the years. And the first thing is like, you know, everyone talks about how they don't read. And I'm always like, that's bull. I sit and I watch you. <laughs> this person does this. And not that everyone doesn't, but I just feel like if you're an athlete, you're going to watch some sports you're gonna you're gonna tune into things or at least i do you know and what i found was the real key is just not caring either way and recognizing that every single storyline can be shifted next week you know and then sometimes if it's deep rooted it's gonna take three weeks (laughs) but i just genuinely don't feel any significant emotion when someone says you're the worst or when they say you're the best now that took a little bit of time but like, I, what happened to you after the playoff game at Seattle? 
and the ball goes through your hands on the extra point. Yeah, I'll what, take you through the cycle. Yeah. yeah, but but I mean, and so how did you handle that? And was it so easy as it sounds now? It sounds very clinical, very dispassionate. Yeah, I think, it, no, it's not easy. I think uh, you're devastated at the time. It's a very difficult process to go through. But like I said before, there's a mental makeup in each individual. And I can remember one of the coaches telling somebody, goes, well, this, some people never come back from that. And, you know, and that was like a month after, and I was like, that seems kind of silly. That does seem kind of silly. Some people, I mean, come on, nobody died. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I was also like, I mean, for me, I'm sitting there thinking, well, if I hold that snap, we win a playoff game. That's the difference. You know, and it was like, I just knew that I was coming on as a player and I still had a long way to go in a lot of areas. And it was just like, I just need to go work and get better and study and figure out the subtleness and the and the situational thinking and, and the skill level it takes with your footwork and your mechanics and then go wear that out and who knows how good you know you can be. But I've always been very optimistic when it comes to that stuff. When you have setbacks, it's the same as a play, a practice, you know, a day that doesn't go well. It just happens and all of a sudden you get back up and some things take longer than others, but I do know that you know, if you have the right mental makeup and the right frame, you know, mind and mental toughness, really, you just, you say, you're torn up, it's devastating, and now you're like, but I got something else coming, I'm going to be okay, and we're going to be good because of that, 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 because you figured out something, uh, you've all of a sudden studied, and you, you've worked, and now you have this feeling of, it's going to be different, and uh, that's how you can come back from, you know, setbacks, and, you know, if you're a professional player in any sport you're going to have setbacks and we all know the saying and everything but it's it's really not about the setbacks i mean it's really just about how you mentally come back from it and and if you're good and you have the mental approach the right way and that stuff just weirdly helps you get better and allows you to be passionate going forward to change you know what happened so that's happened multiple times. This is the MMQB Podcast. Hey, everyone, listen up. You don't want to miss this. Make sure you remember these four letters, MMQB. You know that feeling you get when you can get things done with just the click of your mouse? It can't get more convenient than that, thanks to Stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. Now here's the part I told you to remember. Right now for my listeners, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code MMQB for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Within minutes, you'll be printing postage right from your desk. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in MMQB. Don't forget the microphone at the top of the screen. That's stamps.com, and enter MMQB. So, Tony, I've always wondered your life and your life possibly after football. 
Last year, we sat here in Oxnard, California. You showed me a lot of pictures on your phone of quarterbacks and their mechanics and how the ball comes out of their hands. And I said, wow, this guy might be a quarterback whisperer one day. So, A, (laughs) how much are you interested in all that? And, B, why did you get so totally honed in on the exact science of throwing a football? Well, you find that to be an accurate quarterback, there's there's multiple things that go into it. I think your accuracy is a big deal. But you can be an accurate quarterback with not great fundamentals. I, I genuinely feel like if you just have enough repetition at it, you can get away without some of the right sequencing, I call it. And And through muscle memory, you can create the ability to put the ball over there. And I see it all the time from quarterbacks. The issue comes in when you haven't practiced it in the muscle memory aspect of it. And there's a lot of throws that you'll have throughout a game where you have all of a sudden you're just weights back, you're sliding left, you're sliding right, you're not able to step through, you got to stand tall, you're kind of moving up, a million different throws, running left, running left, running right. I mean, and then those are the times that you really want to have this technically. Uh, sound movement and and mechanics now footwork helps you tremendously but that's the muscle memory part that I talk about you do 10,000 drop backs and throws even with an average you know mechanical um, sequencing the ball's going to get there you've done it a million times but when you haven't now it comes back to the technical aspect so what I've really tried to work on you know diligently over the years and feel feel very confident in just recently really over this last year and a half or so maybe two years um, has been to get to a point where the ball will feel the same regardless of your body positioning and regardless of what type of situation you're in so in reality I'm not letting my environment dictate to me I'm going to be able to dictate to my environment that's a hard thing to do because it constantly is changing around do you you think you throw right now as close as you can to a perfect football? <laughs> well, that's an awfully big statement, but uh, I think that I throw the best I've ever thrown, and it's not even close. Are you better this year, for instance, oh, than yeah. you ever have been? Yeah, but you could ask my coaches, and they would tell you. I mean, I yeah. think that they would they see the same situation. I, but I've always been an accurate quarterback, but that's more based on the muscle memory of it. Now, all of a sudden, though, if you just you could really just look at the completion percentage in some ways. It's just all of a sudden gross. And that's that's just because you're able to pull that ball on it, drag route left while you're looking right without having to move your feet because you can't because you're about to get hit from the left side and still pull it and hang on to your finger for an extra half second and hit that drive runner out in front of them. You know, before the ball's floating, it's behind them, DB gets to hit it down, you know, and you're just like, oh, it's a tough throw. Well, yeah. you really can make it. You just have to figure out how to do that. And there are certain aspects to the throwing mechanics that I won't bore you with that I, I genuinely believe in. Who throws the prettiest pass in football? Who isn't named Tony Romo? <laughs> well, I think going off of Coach Barcelos, he used to say Jeff George used to throw the best. Right now, you know, there's a there's a few guys, but I think uh, like when you watch games, who do you really like to watch throw the football? There's multiple guys now, but there's it's more about all the people who've ever played. And you know, I've studied you know twenty guys, and there's you know I think the obvious one is Tom Brady for everyone mechanically. I think he obviously does things. And, you know, I studied his, his coach and the people and without having ever gone there. Oh, Tom House, yeah. And yeah. Tom House is really, 
you know, the interesting part is I do certain things naturally and then others I had to really work at very hard. But uh, you can see some aspects of things that I believe in, uh, they do and they try and practice. And it's it's right. He's got some really uh, Isn't it amazing a Major League Baseball relief pitcher who had a pretty mediocre career can go and now he's the guy who there's 13 starting quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, you know, Andy Dalton, you know, Blake Bortles. They all go and, and yes, master, what do we do? (laughs) Well, he's found the ability to teach them, you know, some of the things that I had to just learn through decades, it feels like, you know, he can teach them pretty quickly. But, you know, your ability to throw without having, you're still shifting your body weight from right to left, but you're not actually moving forward. And you can see that through the, their repetition, how these these players are practicing that, and then another aspect is just the ability to the shoulders to that left side not feeling like it's continuing to to move open. It's a constant uh, movement where it's almost like a slingshot where they're acting as a you know it's a tight left side as you're throwing through, and that right arm just releases. It. it allows you to hang on that ball longer. Then there's a couple of those secrets that I'm not going to you know expose here because I don't know if they know them yet. So we'll see. <laughs> Last question for Tony Romo. I've asked a lot of players this in the last two or three years. Does the recent revelations about head trauma and concussions and some players retiring early before their time give you pause ever? You're married now. You have four and two-year-old sons. Uh, You've, from all accounts, totally embraced family life. You're a dad nerd. But, I mean... Do you ever think, I've had my moment, maybe just to be safe, and I got a lot of money in the bank, maybe to be safe, I should just walk away? Yeah, the concussion isn't as strong for me just because I feel like I haven't had a ton. Obviously, there's a back issue, and I do think about that in the same manner. You know, but you're kind of born to do certain things in life in some ways, I feel like, and you know, I'm not going to have the ability to go run off and be Peter King in my next life. So, yes, you can. It's it's easy, believe me. <laughs> so I think uh, I just don't want to ever regret not doing everything you can to be the best possible version of what God gave you your gifts in. And I feel like that's why you exhaust and do everything you can. And, hey, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I do know that uh, I won't have any regrets when it's done simply because I'll know that I laid it on the line and I really went out there and, tried to utilize every skill set that he gave me and you know that's all you can really do tony romo thanks for joining me on the peter king podcast much appreciated thanks guys thanks for having me thanks to my guest tony romo and if you enjoyed this conversation be sure and listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the mmqb series such as my conversations with steve smith brandon marshall and drew Brees. You can find these on the MMQB.com or iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Listen to other podcasts in our series as well with Albert Breer, Gary Grambling, and Andy Benoit. Thanks really to Gary Grambling and Andy Benoit for letting me invade their podcast by putting this conversation with Tony Romo on their podcast as well this week. Thanks also to the folks at Digital Media for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Stamps.com and Indochino. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.